Welcome to Inside the Monster with Steve Peralt and Joey Capone. We are back for episode 15 of Inside the Monster, presented by Odyssey. That is Joey Capone. I am Steve Peralt. Joey, we got a great interview today, man. This is one I have wanted to do for a long, long time. I don't think I've ever heard this guy interviewed before. And I'm building it up like it's a surprise. His name's literally on the title. <laughs> yeah, you tapped it. If you're listening to this, you tapped his name. Yeah, so. you can see it says John Valentin. John, John Valentin, Valentin was one of my favorite players growing up, man. It was uh, the big three before Pedro got here. For me, it was John Valentin, Mo Vaughn, and Nomar Garcia Parra. Uh, that was, those were the guys. Those were the guys who went to the old ball yard. That was a much different looking Fenway in the mid 90s. I'll tell you that much. But he was all about his business, man. We talk about that in this interview. Smooth guy, very good player. One of the best players that uh, didn't make an all star team. I think you can say that pretty safely in all of MLB. One of the best players that didn't get there. You should have in 95. Gets mm -hmm. a silver slugger in 95. We talk about that season. We talk about the 96 season. Be Hell like yeah. 96. We talk Pedro. We talk Nomar. We talk the pressures of not winning a title in 80 years at that point. Mm -hmm. So a lot of great discussion, and I had a fun time, Joey. Yeah, I mean, and you said it, man, one of the best players to not make an all-star team. In his time with the Sox, do you want to guess what his average was? Uh, it was probably in the 280s. Yeah, it was 281. There you go. Yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty wild, man. So, yeah, he was awesome. He's also a, um, a smart baseball guy. Um, it, it was definitely fun reminiscing with him. He was great. Uh, he was yeah. phenomenal. And we are going to have our Red Sox Astros series recap episode coming out, obviously, after the series. Mm -hmm. But we got this interview. It's awesome. We want you folks to hear it. So that's what this episode is. It is the yeah. John Valentin Inside the Monster interview. And we should just get right into it, right? I mean, this is... I had a ton of fun doing this. I See, yeah. these are the ones that, like, I've obviously been lucky enough to talk to a lot of really cool Red Sox players and, and that have mattered a ton in Red Sox history. But mm -hmm. weirdly enough, I was like a smidge nervous for this one because kid Steve is back. Like this is like, mm -hmm. you know, eight year old, seven year old Steve is like, oh, my God, I get to interview John Valentin. This is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I, was, I was excited, <laughs> dude. Yeah, no, I could tell. I could. We could all tell, man, you were stuttering, stammeringly nervous or sweating yeah. the whole time. You vomited that one time. We had to cut it. Yeah, you told I should have thrown it. up. That was Remember, you bad. told me not to mention it on the show. <laughs> I just randomly uh, threw up. <laughs> but no, no, but I totally great. get it, man. I, I totally get the uh, like reverting back to kid brain. Yeah, with, I mean, it, it immediately yeah. went back where it was like, you know, I was always bugging my dad. We got to get there early. We got to get there early. I want to get the autographs. You know, all they, you know, Valentin warms up with Nomar. I know when they come out. I know their routines. And so, yeah, I basically stalked this guy when I was a kid. And now, now we get to interview him on this podcast. So, without further ado, we bring to you the John Valentin interview after this break.
We welcome John Valentin to Inside the Monster. First off, John, thank you so much for doing this. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We start with uh, the Cape League. I want to start with the Cape League. We all know you went to Seton Hall. You had Mo Vaughn, Craig Bijo, his teammates. I'm sure you've talked about that 8 million times. I want to know about your experience on the Cape in the summer of uh, 88 with the Hyannis Mets. How was that? Well, actually, um, it's quite interesting. Uh, I got drafted in June, um, and I never actually played in the Cape. Um, you didn't so play. I did not play. I was. Uh, I left to go to short season uh, Red Sox uh, minor league baseball in uh, the New York Penn um, right before the season started. So um, I did not play with the Hyannis Mets, although I was looking forward to it. I just felt like uh, it was time to sign and start my pro career. Which makes sense. See, I'm out here looking for the game logs, and I'm like, where are they? But I assume <laughs> it was 88. It's, you know, I don't know. Cape League and keeping stats is always a little bit tricky, and it's hard to find the box scores. You didn't play in the Cape League. But didn't you – I feel like I've seen images of you with, like, the Hyannis Mets hat on. So were you down there? Uh, yes, I was. Uh, they took baseball card pictures, and yeah, I was in uniform, and I was about to start the season, to be honest with you. And it just turned out that um, the Red Sox wanted me to sign. Obviously, I wanted to sign. Uh, it just took a matter of time to negotiate the deal and uh, start my pro career. That is, wow, that's wild. All right, fun fact about John Valentin. I never knew that. So when you find out that you're drafted by the Red Sox, What's the first reaction and kind of the next steps after that happened? I mean, it was fantastic. Uh, I knew that, I, you know, if I was going to make the major leagues, I would be in the Northeast uh, where my family could see me play. And uh, it was just, a, you know, great, great moment in, um, in my life as a young kid uh, coming out of college and, uh, you know, uh, you know, always wanting to obviously get the opportunity to, try to get to the next level, which is that pro that pro level. And your first experience at Fenway, what was that like? Because obviously getting drafted by the Sox is one thing. You then get to Fenway Park. We all know the history, you know, around Fenway. What was that experience like? Uh, pretty fantastic. Um, I had Butch Hobson as a double-A manager. Um, he also was my triple-A manager, and he was uh, the big league manager at the time when I um, was in triple-A. Um, in, in 92, um, you know, obviously the team wasn't doing that well. Um, the, the Red Sox, they were not doing great in the standings and usually guys get, uh, picked up, you know, you know, come up during that September call up. Um, they decided to bring me up a little bit earlier to see what I could do. And, uh, it was a great day. You know, I, I actually missed batting practice and, and Butch said, uh, you know, you're in the lineup. I said, I'm in the lineup. You know, I didn't even take any batting practice. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm facing Kevin Brown, um, which, uh, you know, obviously an excellent pitcher for the Texas Rangers at the time. And, uh, you know, it was a great experience. Everything went really, really fast. And uh, I was able to get, you know, I, I went 0 for 3 against Kevin because, uh, you know, he had a great sinker slider. Um, and then I, uh, came up in the, I believe the seventh or the eighth with uh, men on base and, you know, had the winning run that ended up being the winning run of the game. So I had an RBI single over the, over the shortstop's head. Uh, 
And uh, it was a fantastic day all around when, when the day was over. When you like, when did you actually feel like, okay, I'm on the team? Cause it's one thing to get the call up and to start getting MLB at bats. But when did you actually feel comfortable? Like you were a big part of the Red Sox? Cause obviously through that, you know, majority of your career is in Boston. I know you're one year with the Mets, but when did you really feel like, Oh, I'm, I'm one of the guys here. Well, you know, um, it took a little bit, um, actually, um, it just, uh, I ended up playing every day, um, you know, the rest of the season. Um, and I ended up hitting five homers, 25 RBIs that allowed me to, uh, basically get the opportunity to be the shortstop for the next, the next season, which was 1993. Um, I ended up hitting 280. Um, 11 home runs, uh, 60 RBIs, something like that around that time. I felt like I was uh, part of one of the guys. Um, I, I didn't know, you know, if I would struggle at any moment, um, you know, there's always a chance to go down to AAA again. You know, you always have options as a player. Um, but you know, I was the kind of guy that I was a I was a grinder in the sense that I basically grinded every day, um, played hard every day. I didn't try to look in the past or in the future. Um, just wanted to uh, be part of the team and try to contribute in in a big way. I was pretty Absolutely. quiet. Yeah, I, that's the thing. I I remember specifically growing up watching you. Obviously, we'll get to Nomar, Mo Vaughn, that whole you know even Canseco for a little bit. And you just seemed to be about your business. It was about showing up to the park, playing ball, nothing really added on. And I assume that was part of your goal, right? Just do my job and and that's all you got to do. Yeah, uh, you learn pretty quickly how um, the Boston media plays a really big part <laughs> of, you know, how yeah. things are uh, <laughs> go around in a sense. Uh, they are they want to win. You know, Boston always has want to win, and and the media, if you're not playing well, they're going to let you know. Mm. Um, I basically felt like, you know, I, I had my head, you know, really pretty much looking to try to do uh, as best as I could, you know, my whole career, basically. Um, I tried to stay out of the limelight. I did not um, want to be one of those guys that was, uh, you know, taking attention outside the field. Um, going out and partying. Um, I was uh, just about my business, basically. I learned that very quickly as a, as a rookie when, you know, you have Wade Boggs was playing my first year when I came up and Tony Pena, Jack Clark, uh, uh, Brunanski, uh, Roger Clemens, uh, so many guys that were veterans uh, that been on the team for a very long time. Um, I'm a young guy, you know, you basically, you want to be quiet, go about your business. Don't talk, uh, when you're not supposed to, in a sense, you know? Yeah. I feel like there's a, a big value to that. Just kind of knowing where you rank in the team and just showing up, doing your thing. Uh, obviously we got to talk about the unassisted triple play that I think still remains my favorite play to watch back in a long, long time. I remember when it happened. It's the 10th unassisted triple play in MLB history. This doesn't really happen. I feel like it's only happened five times since you did it in 1994. Uh, just kind of break down what was going through your head because it happened so fast. Even watching the broadcast back, they didn't even know it was three outs. They're like, no, I'm pretty sure it's two outs. And you already knew it was three outs. You make the play. 
one of the smoothest plays of all, all time. It was just like, boom, boom, done. Flip the ball to the mound. We're going to the dugout. Innings over. What's going <laughs> through your head when that all happened? Well, you know, it's a situation where, you know, Lupinella, he had to bunt on uh, pre the previous pitch. And um, I believe, uh, I'm not sure who was up. Was it Mark Newfield, I believe? I'm not sure. Um, he fouled off the bunt. And I'm trying to keep the 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 second baseman base runner, to, uh, you know, pretty close to the bag to make sure that we have a play at third. And uh, I was pretty close to him. Um, I, I try to keep him back. I tap my glove. I go back to my position. And all of a sudden, you know, it's a hit and run play, the next pitch. Yeah. A, line drive, a, live, a line drive was hit to my shoe tops. Um, I was able to snag it. Um, touched the bag, and you know when I looked, um, I you know to be honest with you, I really didn't know at the time um, that it was no outs. To be honest with you, I, I really didn't not know, and that's the reason why I tagged him so nonchalantly. I said, You're like, why, I might, why not? I, gonna, just I, in I case, might as I'll well tag him. him. Yeah, I might as well <laughs> tag him. You know, just in case. You know, um, and then I threw the ball in, not knowing how. Um, how important, you know, the unassisted triple play is in a sense, you know? Yeah. The, the umpire, yeah. yeah. The umpire ended up giving me the ball back, which, and then I really realized that, you know, it was the 10th one. Yeah. It was the smoothest thing I've ever seen. I mean, forget baseball plays, just sports and jerk. Might even be just one of the smoothest things, period. It's like Michael Jackson moonwalking john valentine's on his fist well that, that's what play. everyone says everyone's like michael jackson jackson moonwalk and then the valentine on assisted triple play it's yeah like those are the two smoothest two. things i've ever seen yeah. uh, <laughs> uh one thing that kind of gets lost in that play is that right after it you hit a lead off home run that that's you know, something that i think people kind of forget about that's got to be one of those unbreakable mlb things right like some oh, yeah. like every once in a while one of these oddities happens that just will never happen again an unassisted triple play followed by a leadoff homer. You got to be the only guy who's ever done that. Right? Um, you know, it, it always, you know, to be honest with you, it happens, not not the homer part, but mm. what happens when a guy makes a good play, um, usually he's ended up leading off, you know, yeah. um, or at the top of the, of the, you know, the first two guys to hit. Um, so, you know, it, it was a great opportunity to, you know, not not that one play played any part of the next play, um, but you know, it's just coincidental that you know I, I got a good pitch to hit and I hit it out. You know, so mm. yeah, you make a good play like uh, the unassisted triple play, and then you hit a home run. I mean, that's pretty fantastic. You know, I'm glad that we yeah. know now that that you didn't know the outs because it did it. Now this all checks out. Cause when you tag him, you're like, yeah, what the hell I'll tag him. Like go. he's, he's in front of me. If there's, if there's no outs, whatever, now there's three and I can go to the dugout, but I'll never get over it in a good way. How chill it was. It was the coolest looking play I've ever seen. You just trot to the dugout, like nothing happened. And everyone was a little bit stunned. I, I don't know. Like in the dugout where they like, dude, that was nuts. Like what was the reaction in the dugout? Uh, you know, <laughs> It's so funny, but they were making fun of me. What, you didn't know how many outs there were? You know, I go, I really didn't. You know, I'm like, okay. I just threw the ball in, you know, so. You're like, excuse uh, me, I just made history. I'm the 10th guy yeah. to ever do that. Yeah, everybody knew what it was. I mean, uh, you know, how important a, a triple play was. But, you know, yeah. not me at the time. <laughs> <laughs> that was That was good. I mean, everything, I feel like your whole game was very smooth. Like, it was... 
you know, when you're at the plate, the stance, the swing in the field, great glove. Like I know in today's game, swagger matters a lot. And that's a big part of the current version of Major League Baseball. Do you think you can teach the smoothness or do you just kind of need it? Um, You know, it, it's hard to, uh, you know, manufacture it, you know, like make yeah. it make it um, real when it's not real in a sense. And I'm not saying that I had any kind of swagger at all. You know? Oh, you did. No, you, you did. did. I'll just, yeah, I'll no, just you cut did. that out. You did. You did. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, I think playing different sports, like I played a lot of basketball um, growing up and I played for Bobby Hurley at St. Anthony's of Jersey city. Um, and, you know, they were always great basketball teams. Although, you know, I didn't start, I was uh, more of a backup player. But I had to guard the best players in the city and, um, you know, practice with the, the best players that St. Anthony's uh, had. Um, so I always had pretty good feet. Um, I was able to, you know, play good defense. And, and that what, that's what made me a pretty decent fielder. And, um, and being able to catch the baseball and play, you know, obviously the, the shortstop position. Um, but by no means it was manufactured. It, it was just who I was in a sense. Uh, I, I, I caught the ball pretty well. Um, I was a pretty heady baseball player, uh, smart in a way that um, I knew what to do. Um, I was ahead of the game in the sense of I was a student of the game, let's just say. You know, yeah. so yeah. I was just able to understand, you know, if the ball was hit to me, what I needed to do with it. And, uh, you know, try to be, you know, and I was taught at a young age that, you know, if you play the shortstop position, you got to be a leader in a sense. Even though I was yeah. a quiet, a quiet leader, um, you still have to be a leader in, in a sense, you know. So in 95, you have a career year. You finish ninth in AL MVP voting. Uh, so your war that year was 8.3, which was almost double your boy, Mo Vaughn who ended up taking home the award that year uh, being how, you know, how much the advanced analytics and those numbers are kind of analyzed. Now, do you think that 1995 season happens today for John Valentin, that you have a, a solid shot at that award? Uh, you know, I wasn't really one of those guys, you know, to be honest with you, I really wasn't a guy who was trying to, um, you know, try to go after the accolades. You know, I wanted to be a good teammate. I wanted to be a a person that, you know, went out there and, and you know, laid it on the line, you know, for the team and play well. Mm. Um, you know, Mo Vaughn had a great year. Um, you could question that, you know, Albert Bell also had a great year that year. And I believe that Mo um, slight, slightly edged, you know, Albert for the, the award. Um yeah, analytics obviously is great. It tells a story um, on how good a year you had, and uh, and that's great. That's great. But you know, to be recognized that I was ninth was was fine with me, in a sense. You know, I knew I had a great year. Mm -hmm. uh, I was uh, able to win the Silver Slugger Award. You know, I took it away a little bit from Cal Ripken. You know, a great player. <laughs> um, he was an outstanding player that I looked up to as a, you know, growing up and watching him play. So to be able on, to be in the same league with him, um, it's humbling in a sense, you know, so it, it's just a, 
uh, a great feeling to to be able to compete against these type of uh, players. And, you know, to win an award is fantastic. I wish I would have made the all-star team, but I did mm-hmm. not. Um, um, and uh, for whatever reason, um, I, I was, uh, you know, not picked in a sense. Mm-hmm. Silver Slugger, cool award, though. Cool looking award. Yeah, great, so great that- award. Yeah, that is, that is an awesome one to have, and it's fancy. Uh, we are, on this show, we're trying to draw comps to past Red Sox teams with this current Red Sox team. Obviously, a tough start, 10-19 and 19 start to the season for this uh, Red Sox club. You guys started 10-19 and 19 in 1996 and finished 85-77. and 77. With the current postseason format, you would have been in the playoffs. What is your biggest takeaway from that 96 team? Because we've started a hashtag, be like 96 for this current club. So we're, we're using you guys as an example of, Hey, you can have a tough start and still finish with a respectable record. So what's your biggest takeaway from that season? Um, you know, obviously we, we had really good players, you know, just like this team, this team has a very, you know, good team, a solid team. You, you just can't try to win all the games so fast. I mean, you really gotta, you know, that you're behind the standings, you know, you're playing in the toughest division, uh, in the league, uh, you know, the Yankees are trying to, you know, obviously win the division, and so is Toronto, which uh, Toronto is obviously playing very, very well. The Rays are obviously tough. They're always tough. And, you know, Baltimore is getting better. Um, you know, so it's it's a tough, t- tough division. And we knew it, you know, coming in in 96 that when you do start off, uh, you know, rough in April when it is a little cold, um, you know, it's uh, it's important to try to make sure you dye your eyes and you know cross your T's when it comes to scouting reports and um, being out, out there to do extra work to make sure that you're ready to play um, and uh, be a student of the game and, and 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 obviously play well the best that you can you know and and basically if you go out there and you play hard and you leave it on the field and you know you know you could sleep sleep at night you know. How much does the pressure seep in in those situations with a slow start? Because you can feel it with this current Sox team where tough start, fans are always restless. How much did that kind of seep in with you guys? And does that impact your mental state when you're playing? Oh, it seeps in. You know, there's no doubt we are human beings. And, you know, when you do uh, not start off the way you want to, um, it, it definitely puts you in a position where, okay, you know, I got to try extra hard. I got to do everything that I need to do to, uh, you know, get to the point where, you know, we can claw back into this race in a sense, you know. So um, the Boston media, the fans, they expect uh, you to play well all the time. Um, that's what we want to do. That's what this team wants to do. Um, and I think I think they'll come out of it. You know, they got a great leader in Alex um, Cora. He's done a fantastic job with them. He's a great communicator um, with young guys. Um, he's done a great job being a Red Sox skipper. Um, I really feel like they have the chemistry. Uh, Trevor Story coming in, obviously switching leagues and and um, facing all different types of pitchers that he's not really used to. Um, is also very difficult to do. Um, so as he finds his way the second time around, you know, I could see him coming out and doing really well as uh, you know, cause he's a, you know, he's a fantastic player as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of 96, this guy, Nomar Garcia para 
is in town. Garcia Parra. I my people always get on me for saying para. It's para, whatever. Nomar is in town in 96. You are the shortstop. Obviously, Nomar is a big prospect, and you move over to second base. I'm sure you didn't like doing that. What was that whole process like? And what was your relationship like with Nomar over the that year and the years to come? Well, you know, we always had a pretty good relationship. You know, I always felt like um you know, when I came in as a, a rookie, you know, the, the older guys uh, did a great job welcoming me um, in a sense um, to make me feel as comfortable as possible. You know, obviously, I know the players in the league and he's a rookie. So, um, um, you know, I tried to give him as much information as I could to help him play well. But, you know, I definitely didn't want to move. You know, there's yeah. no question about that. Um, I felt like, you know, I played hard enough and well enough to hold a position. Um, and, you know, you know, it's hard not to be a little selfish in a way that, um, you know, you, you feel like you were the best shortstop in the league, I guess, for that year. And uh, why not, you know, continue to play that position, you know? Um, Jimmy Williams um, was looking at the bigger picture. You know, in a sense, as as a manager, he felt like if we could have both of both guys on the field playing well, and obviously Noma was a fantastic talent, number one pick, um, and he played well at Triple A, um, but he was more of a natural shortstop, and and you know, um, in a sense that not that he couldn't play second base uh, or third base or whatever the case may be and make the transition. Um, uh, you know, he played a, a really good shortstop, you know, at the time. Um, so it was much easier to have him play, um, that position, the shortstop position, make him as comfortable as possible, I guess. And, uh, you know, for me to move over and make the adjustment, you know, um, I didn't obviously want to leave. Uh, you know, I took it a little personal, but I mean, it's, I got over it. I ended up hitting 23 home runs that year, playing second base for half the season. Uh, Tim Nearing ended up getting hurt at third base, and I moved over to third base to start that third base career. Um, and, and the Red Sox signed me for a five year, for a five year extension. So I felt yeah. like, uh, you know, very welcomed. Um, I felt like, you know, I parted the Red Sox for a long time. You know, when you put on the Red Sox uh, uniform, you really don't want to, you know, go anywhere else in the sense. Um, that's how I felt. Um, and, uh, but, you know, once I made the transition, I turned the page and tried to go out there and play well again, you know. Did that mm -hmm. impact your relationship at all? You guys always seem I don't know if I want to say close. I mean, you, you seem tight, though. It didn't seem like there was any issue. Obviously, a lot of people are making a, a ton about the Trevor Story, Xander Bogarts thing. They seem to be handling it well. That never seemed like an issue with you guys. So there was no real, uh, no. I don't want to say drama, but there was no, there no problems. Not at all. Not at all. Um, you know, he uh, you know, obviously was a definite asset to the team. And, uh, you know, we welcomed him um, with open arms. We wanted him to do well, play well. You know, when, when, you, when you get on the field, um, it's important to have that type of chemistry. If I'm going to be his partner up the middle, in a sense, mm. um, I have to be close to him in a way. 
I have to know, you know, what he likes to do, where he likes to throw the ball, um, and try to, you know, you can't have any animosity towards a player, you know, um, because that will show uh, somewhere. And that's not something that I was, you know, once I made the transition, I wanted now to be the best second baseman at the time. And then, uh, you know, I only played half the season there. And then when I went to third base, I wanted to be the best third baseman. You know, it's, you know, I was pretty, I tried to be as professional as I could be in a sense and trying to play the position um, the best that I can because I always wanted to, you know, be an asset, you know, to the team. Absolutely. And you were. You were an enormous asset to the team. Uh, that Pedro relief appearance in Game 5 of the 99 ALDS gets discussed a lot. But what I think gets overlooked is your enormous game in Game 4 against the Indians. You have seven RBIs as the Red Sox win 23-7, to which is still blows my mind. I believe that is still the biggest postseason win in the history of baseball what was going through your head that night? Because it's an elimination game, and obviously you performed at an extremely high level. Um, you know, the playoffs are a different animal, um, yeah. to be honest with you. Um, it's, uh, it's great to um, get in the playoffs and be able to play uh, important games, very, very important games to try to get to the next level towards that world championship. Uh, the Indians uh, obviously were a great team. You know, with Manny Ramirez and, you know, Jim Tomey and Sandy Alomar. I mean, there's so many, Albert Bell, there's so many guys that were on that team. And they played, you know, obviously won the first two games. We knew we had to show up. You know, I think I think when you get in the playoffs and you're down 2-0, um, there's two things that can happen. You can, you know, bury your head in the sand or you can come out fighting um, a fight that you – um, probably will will never ever do you know you you're not used to doing in a sense you know so I was pretty much uh, you know trying to you know capitalize on every situation that I could and uh, be extra aggressive at the play I was a pretty aggressive player as a you know I was a quiet aggressive player but um, I was pretty aggressive and I wanted to make sure that I was a little extra aggressive that that series. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turned to be, you know, it turned to, turned to be okay. It actually, I played extremely well, um, and it was uh, something that I I will remember for a very long time. Yeah. So speaking of aggressive at the plate, <laughs> um, Brock Holt was the last guest we had on this show, and you guys are two of the last three Red Sox players to hit for the cycle. Uh, when you are in the box, uh, a double away from the cycle what's going through your head and then once you're on second you're getting that long long standing ovation from the Fenway crowd uh what's going through your head then too well it's it's great to lead off the the game with a homer you know and you know I would never even think about you know after the homer um um that I would hit for a cycle but then my next at bat I hit a, a long fly ball to center field that bounces off the wall and then I'm running to third. I, I didn't hit many triples. Um, I usually hit a lot of doubles. But when I started to, uh, my second at bat, you know, after the triple, I was like, okay, you know, we're, we got a shot at this <laughs> in a sense. Um, try to take quality at bats. Um, and 
Um, you know, I hit a flare single, uh, my next at bat, which was off the end of the bat, uh, into left field. And, you know, uh, Joe McGrain's still in the game. You know, Joe McGrain's is still in the game. Um, he likes to throw a lot of sliders. Um, and I knew he wasn't going to throw me a fastball. So, you know, it's something that, you know, uh, you know, being a student of the game, you knew I was going to, I might get a slider. I just wanted to make sure that it was up enough and I was a pull hitter. And, uh, I, you know, not that I was trying to hit the double, but, uh, you know, you know, Fenway park, I hit a lot of doubles off the wall. Uh, it was a good situation where if I get a good pitch, I could, um, hit one off the wall, but it, it didn't happen. It just went down the line, which was fantastic, you know? So, I mean, things felt like it just happened so fast, but like it was meant to be in a sense. Um, but you know, you, you never know if you're going to hit for the cycle. You know, it's pretty incredible. And then a classic chill John Valentin reaction on second base, like, yeah, I hit for the cycle. Well, place is going nuts, and you're just yeah. like, let's keep playing. Let's keep playing ball. <laughs> I don't really know, man. Come on. Yeah, it's. Uh, I never was that guy. I never. No, was that guy. I respect the hell out of it. It was like, let's keep playing. You didn't seem like you wanted the pause or anything. Like, let's keep this thing rolling. Yeah, I wish. Now I could have tipped my cap or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I was, I, you know, I was just uh, all business, I guess. You know, no, crazy. Was, I, I wish I could have enjoyed it a little bit more. <laughs> no, I, I, again, all business is not a bad thing. Uh, your last year with the Red Sox was in two thousand one. A lot of familiar faces on that Red Sox team from that era: Brian Dawback, Jose Offerman, Troy O'Leary, Shea Hillenbrand, Carl Everett. Darren Lewis, I love Darren Lewis, Lou Merloni, Rich Garces. Do you think that that era of the Red Sox gets overlooked because of what happened so soon after with the championship in 04? I always kind of feel like your era deserves more credit for kind of leading into that breaking of the curse. Um, you know, I think every team goes out there to, you know, every Red Sox team gives their blood, sweat, and tears, you know, to the city, you know, um, you know, you got to give a lot of credit to uh, the guys who did it in 2004. You know, obviously after you know the debacle, not the, not the debacle, but you know what happened in 2003, um, and uh, you know being so close. But um, you know what was fun about, I guess, being part of them winning the World Series is Jason Veritek, Derek Glow played a very, very big part of uh, the winning of the, you know, obviously the World Series. And uh, they grew up with us, you know. Mm. Um, we were older players, and we welcomed them when they came from Seattle. And they played a very big part of growing up with us, in a sense. So, you know, as they grew up with us and played a big part of that series, we felt like, hey, you know, that was a part of what – a little bit of us in there as well, you know? Absolutely. Uh, you had some big games at Yankee Stadium. You and Mo had grand slams in the same game there. I don't, we have some younger listeners that don't remember a damn thing about the old Yankee Stadium. What was it like playing there? Cause it's not the same now. It's like a cruise ship now. They're serving sushi. It was different at that old one. You go there. I remember being there for the 04 ALCS, getting spit at. I was like, this is great. That atmosphere was nuts. What was it like playing in those games? Uh, it's it's great to play in Yankee Stadium in the sense that you know um, for me it is I'm home um, yep. I'm from I'm from the New Jersey New York area um, a lot of friends and family get to see me play so I always want to play my best obviously um, 
Um, always want to play my best, but it gives you a little boost to play uh, such a great historic rivalry against them. Um, but that place was, you know, legendary. You know, you're talking about uh, a stadium that Ruth built in a, in a sense, you know. Um, so many historic players playing in that, that stadium. Um, and, you know, to be part of it is part of history. You know, not that, you know, I never went out to the monuments because I really didn't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, just to, to play in that stadium where I grew up as a kid watching games. I went to Shea Stadium as well, as well as Yankee Stadium to watch games uh, as a baseball kid. And, uh, you know, uh, it's just a great atmosphere. The You're talking about um, blue collar type um pl uh fans um back then compared to a little bit of a little bit more corporate right now yeah yeah i yeah. fully agree with that uh you played four seasons with pedro martinez and that's a guy who obviously had a lot of big games at yankee stadium good and bad what was your favorite pedro story if you got one pedro uh pedro was obviously a fantastic you know he's a great hall of famer you know probably um probably you know one of the best pitchers that ever pitched a game you know he had four great pitches fastball uh four seamer two seamer he had a great curveball great slider great changeup. i mean you know he was a power pitcher um but also can pitch finesse you know i i saw him strike out tino martinez with five straight changeups. you know so <laughs> i mean um he had it all and he was a great teammate. You know, you're talking about the warmest, um, uh, the warmest caring teammate that you could possibly have. Um, he loved to help everybody. Um, his brother as well was fantastic. Yeah, Ramon um, was really good too. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, when you got them on the mound, it was a different story. They were warriors. Um, so my favorite moment i guess you know i mean I, I see him strike out 17 at yankee stadium i mean that was fantastic you know to play at that level and uh, to to command that much uh, respect and and to strike out the best i would say the 99 you know playoffs i mean 99 all-star game actually where he you know he struck out you know obviously three four and five in that that game um, yeah. might might have hurt himself that day also. Yeah. Um, um, and that's where, you know, he started to have a little arm problems because he probably overthrew, but that would be him to answer that question. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but there were so many. There were so many. I can't even tell you. Um, every, time, every time he was watched TV, I mean, every time he's on the mound, you needed to stay in your seats and to make sure to see what he would do, you know? Were you in the building for the 99 All-Star game or were you just watching at home? No, I, I took the three days and went home. Yeah, yeah. you're like, I, I the break is nice. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know what to nice. be in at Fenway if you're like, yeah, I'll stick around and you know watch these yeah. guys. No, no, the three days are good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, John, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, the post-playing days. Uh, in 2012, you started working with the Dodgers organization, uh, doing some hitting coaching stuff. And then in 16, started working with their high A team. Um, the I'm testing my own memory here. The Great Lakes Loons? Yes. Yes? All right. Yes. Um, so I wanted to ask, how does how do those two things compare? What's it like 
you know, doing hitting coaching for major leaguers versus guys who are aspiring to be major leaguers. And is there like a satisfaction that you get from helping guys climb the ranks to try to get there? Oh, yes. I mean, uh, this, there's satisfaction in both, actually. Um, mm-hmm. From, you know, when I first started coaching, I coached uh, A-ball and double-A. I didn't necessarily want to have a big league job. I didn't think I was ready to coach at a big league level because it's more um, from a, it's more mental from a uh, at a big league level than it is physical. Um, but for the kids, um, it's a little bit of both. You know, their mechanics, uh, their um, trying to you know obviously compete at a high level, their high level. Um, and trying to, you know, correct themselves day-to-day with their mechanics. Um, they don't know anything, you know, in a sense. So it's important that you try to give them as much information as possible, may try to make them relax and, and go about their business in a, in a relaxed way, but a professional way. They, they're learning, you know. Um, in the big league level, it's challenging um hitters think you know um they know everything in a way and that's good because you know you want a confident player that knows himself um but you know there's communication um that uh you need to have um like there may be things that i see on video that i could probably say okay this is how a pitcher is pitching you this is what how you should you know obviously plan against him um but most hitters like to go with their strengths and most pitchers like to go to their weakness so when it when it comes to hitting a pitcher you you have to sometimes hit their pitches um you know and that's the outside corner going the other way uh being able to stay on the ball to stay through it um a lot of hitters you know if they're pull hitters they tend to want to be pull in a way, just like I was. You know, I I went with my strength, um, but it got me in trouble sometimes because they pitched me away. So you know, in in order to have success at a high, a very high level, you have to be able to uh, do both. You know, and uh, you know, it's a chess game. You know, the pitcher is trying to get you out. You're trying to you know obviously hit against him. So it's a chess game. You got to know when to, you know, make a move here and there. You know, the the amount of times that you had home runs where a pitcher would kind of leave it a little bit too low, you just flick that thing to the net. That was just that seemed to be like one of your mentalities, right? If you can, if you leave this thing close enough inside, I'm going to use the monster. I'm going to go into the net, and that's just how that's going to go. Well, you know, I. Um... You know, and it's not all like uh, you plan it. Sometimes you do get lucky. Happens. <laughs> yeah, true, true, <laughs> you know? true. Um, but uh, you're always trying to understand what the pitcher is trying to do to you in a way, and you're trying to, uh, you know, put a good swing on the ball, you know. So if he makes a good pitch, um, you're just trying to put a good swing. And sometimes, you, you, you know, if he leaves it up in the zone, then you're going to be able to drive it in the air. And uh, I was a pole hitter. At the time, you know, uh, obviously, and uh, I used the net in the wall uh, a lot. Yeah, but it worked out perfectly for Fenway. John, we will get you out of here on this. We always end with some trivia about the person we're interviewing. So we got a trivia question for you. In the 10 previous seasons before you hit for the cycle, 
1996, only two other Red Sox players hit for a cycle in that span. Do you know who uh, they were? <laughs> that's that's a tough one. I, I really don't. <laughs> do you remember the one? Do you remember the one from '94? There was one two years before you. You were the first one since this guy did it in '94. Uh, that would be tough. Would, would it be Ellis Burks? Um, no, Scott I, Cooper. Scott, Scott Cooper. In Scott, 94. my own teammate. Look at that. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had you had Mike Greenwell in '88. I don't know. Did you and Greenwell have much of a relationship? Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. he was a leader on the team. Also, um, yeah. It, how it long was, was Greenwell there, though? How much? I guess how much crossover did you guys have? Uh, I was there in '92, I believe. He left in '96. So okay, so he had way yeah. more than I thought. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I should have. I, I should have knew that answer. <laughs> no, it's. I. It's a lot of these times. It's either a guaranteed. Yep, I know it, or it's like. I don't need to know that because you really don't. <laughs> you really don't need to know those answers. But, I mean, if you're looking back in the last, geez, last 28 years, only three guys to hit for the cycle on the Red Sox are you, Brock Holt, and Mookie Betts. That's a hell of a list right there. We love Brock. You were better than Brock. And then Mookie Betts is Mookie Betts. So, it's pretty cool. But, uh, John, thank you so much for doing this, man. This was awesome. I've always wanted to interview you, and this was a great opportunity to do so. So, thanks for doing it. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you later, man. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I, it was a pleasure, and um, have a great day, guys. All right? You too. We are back. That was awesome, Joey. That was yeah. that was a trip down memory lane. I'm telling you, not enough fans give enough credit to the '90s Red Sox teams. Those teams laid the groundwork for what happened in 04, 07, and beyond. Mm -hmm. The 90s Sox have a special place in my heart, and so does John Valentin. <laughs> uh, he said some cool stuff, man. He Tons of cool he's stuff. A, he, yeah, he's an insightful guy. I think one thing that went a little overlooked, I'm glad we didn't like dive into it and really talk about it in the moment. It would have been totally wrong, but I did want to bring it up with you after the interview is over, which is yeah. uh, <clears throat> right now. Um mm we talked about how he's about his business and when he hits for the cycle, he, you know, just kind of kept going about his business. Like, let's get the game going. And he divulged to us. He's like, I wish I enjoyed it a little bit more. I wish I took a second yeah. and enjoyed it a little bit. And uh, that's, I don't know, something that maybe I, I hope he's instilling in the players that he's coaching a little bit to hey, take a sec. You know, I know that there's like this hard pressure from the media and from like the, your coaches and whatever to, do your business, go out there, act like you've been there before, be a gamer, do this. Like, mm. take a sec because, you know, your career is not going to last 40 years, you know, take a second yeah. and, and take it all in. I think it's it's a very important lesson to some of these younger players that, you know, you're a star now, you're a good player now, you're whatever, you're getting the attention, you're getting the IG follows, people are wearing your jersey, people are screaming out your name. Stuff doesn't last forever. It really enjoy doesn't. It. And you got to soak it up. You got to enjoy it. Ha have fun when you can. He alluded to the pressure of Boston as well. Yeah. And yeah. I think that <laughs> that goes hand in hand with what he's saying, right? Where he comes up, you got Wade Boggs, you got Clemens, you got stars, you got Hall of Famers mm -hmm. that are on the Red Sox when he comes up. And it's immediately like, just stay in your lane, right? It's it's mm -hmm. don't talk that much. Just play, earn your spot on the team. And I vividly remember that growing up, like this guy shows up to the park and just plays ball. He's not about look at me. He was a very non like look at me player. He, he wasn't trying to hog the attention. 
He just wanted you to know that he was a damn good ball player and mm-hmm. that he took it seriously. And it was weird. Like it, he almost seemed to, he almost seemed to realize as we were interviewing him, he's like, wait, did I not like acknowledge the fans enough? And it's like, I don't think it was, I don't think it was ever like noticeable. It's just, uh-huh. we, we don't say be about your business that he was about his business as a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. more that that's a respectable trait. Right, just, you're yeah, not it's, just, it's just a trait. Yeah, I, I just I think it's respectable. You know? I don't. I'm. Yeah, yeah. There's a certain level of me, me, me that I just I'm so out on Draymond Green. Uh-huh. I I just I can't at a certain of all level, the players. Like, do you just... I'm just saying that this is so obsessed with himself, talking about themselves all the time. Point me like that's that's who comes to mind. Um, and that won't just calm down. He's constantly it's constant. So yeah, my I don't love Draymond Green, but I just think with John Valentin. Yeah, because the, these guys get brought up together all the time. John Valentin and Draymond Green. I know. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was nice to see a player uh, that just went about his business, did his thing, performed at a high level, and and I think he handled the Nomar question very well as well. It's like I, yeah. you know, of course honest. I wasn't pumped. It was very honest. He's like I wasn't pumped about moving to second base, but had to do it. You know, it was mm-hmm. it, Jimmy knew the the future, and the future was Nomar, and that's exactly what happened. So. Mm-hmm. John Valentin's awesome. That was a great interview. I had a ton of fun great. doing that. And um, yeah, Joey, you're, you're basically your top takeaway from the interview outside of uh, of the obvious, you know, wish you maybe acknowledge the fans a little bit more. <laughs> but I don't think it was a I don't want him to think that it was like noticeable. It was more that nah, you were a ball player, man. And that's that's a respectable thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I just I, I guess it's just that he's he's a guy that I, I wish was coaching me. <laughs> As he was talking, I was like, as he was talking, I was like, maybe I can apply some of this to my to my game, you know, for my for my men's league in the summer. I should really yeah. listen up closely. Okay. He's talking about maybe, competitive they, bats. Maybe I could use this like coming up with some new formats for quote yeah. cards. Like oh god, yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, really, no, I'm trying to I'm trying to get back the on the diamond. Forms. I'm like, man, I'm gonna hit over 217 this year. I'm so gonna do it. Gotta do uh, it. Gotta I do have having it in a few years. Uh, but he, um, he now, doesn't he doesn't he seem like he, he's he's extremely comfortable in his own skin. He understands yeah. who he is. I think he's very self-aware and he always was. And mm-hmm. that is a respectable trait. It's somebody said, that gets what their job is, does it, and understands to to stay in that spot. I said right after we were done. He's a gentleman. He is a gentleman. I think yep. that's like the perfect word for him. He's a he's a gentleman. Uh, him and Whitlock would would get along. They'd get into a door hold off. You know, yes. one of them would hold the door for the other and be like, "After you, sir." And they'd be like, "Please, after no. you." After no, the you, pleasure's sir. all mine. No, the no, pleasure's, pleasure's all mine. Mine, sir. They would do that for a while. I could. <laughs> they're both just too damn nice. That will do it for this one, Joey. That will do it for episode fifteen. Great thanks. Great thanks to John Valentin for joining the show. Great thanks (laughs) to John Valentin for joining the show today. Many thanks. Many blessings and peace be upon you. Yeah, many blessings (laughs) to John Valentin on this day. That was awesome to do. I was so happy to to get to interview him. And um, yeah, we'll have our Astros Red Sox series recap episode coming up next. But for now, that is Joey Capone. I am Steve Peralt. Go Sox. Inside the Monster is a production of Odyssey in partnership with the Boston Red Sox. The show is produced by me, Steve Peralt. Our executive producer is Lena Glazer. Mixing and video editing by Joey Capone. Special thanks to the Red Sox and Major League Baseball for their contributions to the production of this podcast. <laughs>